Well, this morning is Vision Sunday. Uh, next Sunday is Provision Sunday. It's an opportunity for us to look ahead. It's a chance for us to kind of look back and reflect on what God has been doing, is doing, and it's a chance for us to make a financial commitment to support the ministry and the work of God as it pertains to what's going at Green Tree Community Church. But it's much, much more than just a financial commitment. We really want to, as, as the note said, we really want to begin to explore and try to answer this question, who has God called us to be in this community? By the way, my voice is a little squeaky this morning. I know that hockey season has begun. Uh, for some strange reason, I'm coaching two teams instead of one this year, and I had a game Friday and a game Saturday. So if, if my voice sounds a little squeaky, uh, it's because I've been yelling at high school kids for the last 48 hours. Um, back to our purposes this morning, we want to answer the question, who has God called us to be in this community? So we're going to approach it. The sermon's going to be a little different this morning. We're going to approach it. With, basically, we're divided into three parts. The first part is we're going to look at the importance of knowing and studying God's Word, to be purposeful about picking up our Bibles and in some form uh, with, within the context of, of the community of God, studying Scripture. And Alan Hobbs is going to come in just a couple seconds and talk about that. Secondly, I'm going to come back, uh, and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 3, and we're going to look at how Paul describes metaphorically what kind of word picture he paints to help us understand who we're to be in this world. And then the third part of it, the very end of a very brief little five-minute DVD that gives you an example of how that played out in one particular ministry at Green Tree Community Church last summer. So, so with that kind of three-pronged approach in mind, Alan, I'm going to invite you to come and, and share uh, what you've been thinking about and praying about for us this morning about studying God's Word. And just throw my stuff out of the way, but don't take my sermon notes for later as people are, people are prone to do. I've watched people do that before, Tom. Uh, thank you for the intro, Tom, and, and thank you for an opportunity for me to share this morning. Uh, this summer, as I had a, a little bit of downtime, I, uh, I listened to a number of podcasts uh, on my iPod. Uh, that included some fun stuff, some stuff from NPR. Uh, it also included listening to a number of sermons, both from people that I was familiar with, but also some people that had been recommended to me. Uh, one of those individuals I, I listened to uh, was an individual named Francis Chan. He's a pastor, teacher, uh, author from the West Coast. As I was uh, going through his sermons, I ran across a sermon that he preached uh, back in the end of November of, of 2009. He called it the most important message I will ever teach. As you would expect, I was kind of intrigued to come finally to that message and actually listen to what Francis Chan had to say. As he introed his sermon, he said, I really wrestled this last week on, on what I should preach on. Uh, he said, the sermon title that I gave, I know, uh, sounds real intriguing, um, but I put it out there not to... Uh, encourage you to listen to me, but it's because I really believe it. The most important message I will ever teach. And then Francis Chan went on for about 30 minutes, and he talked about the importance of learning to and then actually applying doing personal Bible study, spending time alone with God and his word. Earl Nightingale was a famous uh, author and teacher back in the middle of the 20th century. Uh, wrote a number of books, including a book called The Secret Passage. And in that, he had a particular theme that he talked about throughout the book. He says, we become what we think about. So I want you to consider a question for me for just a couple of minutes. What are your activities 
causing you to think about? What are they causing you to become? So how many hours a day or a week do you spend involved, uh, engaged with reality TV? Or how many hours a day do you spend engaged with ESPN or other sports activities? How many hours a day do you spend on Facebook, on Twitter? How many hours or how many, maybe it's more appropriately asked, how many minutes a day do you spend with God and His Word? Understand, I'm not saying that some of these activities up front are are bad in and of themselves. I'm a Sports Illustrated junkie. Wednesday night or Thursday night, I'm quickly going through the mail to find my Sports Illustrated for the week. But the question we need to consider is, how much time are we spending with God each and every day in His Word? How much time are we finding for all these other activities? What are you and I becoming? As Tom just mentioned, as part of Vision Sunday, we're looking at a text out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me read the very first verse for you. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. But thanks be to God who calls us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. If you were with us this summer, we looked uh, at the book of, uh, of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 begins by saying, Let the message of Christ dwell among you. We are called to spread the knowledge of God. Not, well, Jesus was a, a fine man, uh, he lived, I gave my heart to him, but it's a, we're to spread the knowledge, the growing knowledge that you and I have of him. We are to let the knowledge of Christ dwell among us so that as we deal and encounter people in our lives, we have a message to share with them that we know him and we're continuing to grow in our knowledge of him. So how does this happen? Well, I went to the book of Proverbs to to provide us with some insights. Verses 3, 4, and 5. If you actually look at the text, you'll see that it's organized in if-then. So first, looking at verse 5, it says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and you will find the knowledge of God. So how does that happen? Well, you go back to verses 2 and 3, and notice the verbs that the writer uses. If you call out... For insight, if you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as silver, if you search for it as a hidden treasure. Notice the verbs, they're all active. They all involve us, they involve hard work on our part. They involve time and investment of our energy to accomplish this. If you consider how we would approach this in, in 2010, Many of us are, are, are tempted to getting a quick download of a, of a message, of a devotional onto our iPhone that we can quickly skim so that then in turn we can look up and determine what is happening to Prince William. Is he going to get engaged or not? 
What would the writer of Proverbs say about that? Is that involved in crying out, in crying aloud, in looking for, as for silver, in searching for it? The writer would say, absolutely not. Practically, the most effective way this happens in our lives is through in-depth Bible study. Earlier this year, I was sharing with a group of women about a a men's study that I am part of, a men's in-depth Bible study. And I was going there to let the women know that they should encourage their men to come and be part of our group. At the end of my sharing, uh, several women came forward, uh, including one in particular I'd like to tell you about. Uh, Her husband uh, is uh, is a friend of mine, been a friend for the last three or four years. He is a long time, both he and his wife are long time members of solid evangelical churches here in the city of St. Louis. EPC churches, so you know they got to be good. Okay? All right? A little over 10 years ago, he was actually involved in a church plant for an EPC church. And as part of that church plant, he headed a major ministry at that church plant. So during this time, he has faithfully heard the word of God preached each and every week. He's actually used the gifts that God has given him to further the kingdoms. But then finally he got involved in an in-depth Bible study a couple of years ago. And so the woman was telling me about how much he liked the study, and then she shared some words that I will never forget. She said, since being in your study, he is now for the first time the spiritual leader of our household. Never happened before, but as of now, he is now fulfilling that role. This is exactly what Francis Chan is talking about. We can come on Sunday morning and hear Tom faithfully preach the word. We can go to Sunday school classes. We can listen to podcasts. Those are great. I mean, we should absolutely do that. The word encourages us to do that. But there is nothing that will change us like digging into the Bible for ourselves and letting God speak to us. So let me highlight a couple of opportunities for you to get involved in in in-depth Bible studies here at Green Tree. The women's ministry is a great place to go, the the women's teaching ministry. There's some of the the community groups here are involved in in in-depth study where you spend several hours during the week preparing and then you get together and discuss God's word. I am part of a group called Community Bible Study. I'm part of one of 600 classes throughout the United States. All 600 classes are focused on this particular mission, to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ through caring, in-depth Bible study available to all. Sounds a little bit like Green Tree's mission, to make disciples. And how do we do that? Through in-depth Bible study, caring, in-depth Bible study. We've got about 100 men in, in my class. We come from about 30 churches, including men in this particular congregation the details about the class are highlighted briefly inside the, the green piece, or I guess it's the brown piece now. I'll also be outside at a table if you want to know more, either as a man or one of you wives who would like to get your man involved. For every person, though, who is here this morning, if you desire to grow in your knowledge of God, then get involved and participate in the most important activity for your spiritual growth. Thanks, Alan. I appreciate you coming and sharing that message with us. Everything I'm going to say moving forward is based on that foundation. 
that Alan uh, has shared with us. Because if we do not uh, study God's Word, if we don't know His message to us individually, then it's going to be impossible for us to fulfill the, meaning, the uh, vision and the meaning uh, of Green Tree Community Church's existence, uh, which is not only to grow in our faith, but to reach others and to share with them uh, the good news of the gospel. I'm going to read a, cro- a quote from you from a guy named David Justley, who is a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary. He wrote this a few years ago. He said, I have never seen a believer who was saved by simply watching someone's life. To be saved, people must hear and believe the verbal testimony about Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that faith comes from hearing and hearing, from the, and hearing the word of Christ, which is exactly what the, 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 the topic to which Alan just spoke. However, he goes on to say, I have met hundreds of people who have made their initial movement toward the gospel message because they saw its transforming power in another person's life. The way we live before others really matters. That's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and the introductory part of chapter 3. He's going to paint this picture metaphorically in three different word pictures. As he calls us trophies on display, uh, the aroma of Christ and letters of grace. So as we consider individually the call that God has placed on our lives to grow as disciples, to be joined with him in his mission to reach others, and as we consider the future of Green Tree Community Church with that same responsibility, let us study and hear the word of God. First, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14 and reading through chapter 3, verse 3. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, as a congregation, we stand at somewhat of a crossroads in the history of this body of believers. Lord, in your timing and in your um, direction, you have provided the opportunity for us to, uh, to purchase property. And yet there are more questions about that than we have answers right now. Father, as we look to 2011 and the different ministries, the different work that you want to do in us and through us, we don't know how that will unfold. And that all challenges us to walk by faith and not by sight. But Father, it should also challenge us to look within our own hearts and to consider how we're growing in you 
For those of us here this morning that are gathered who call ourselves Christians, who call ourselves disciples of Jesus, you have called us not only to to trust you, but to, to follow you, to know you, and to make you known. You call us to do that as individuals as well as as a body of believers. And Paul demonstrates that in this text this morning. So, Lord, I pray that you would teach us. We really don't need my opinions this morning. We really don't need man's ideas. We need the truth of the living God to sink deeply within our souls that as individuals and as a congregation, we would always be the aroma of Christ, the trophies of Christ. We would be letters of grace to one another and to this world. Father, you know my sin. You know that I certainly don't deserve to stand before this congregation as someone who is saying, hey, be like me. (laughs) Lord Jesus, I need your grace as much as anyone else in this room. So I pray that you would move me out of the way and you would say what you want to say to all of us this morning, that we would hear your word and your word alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Trophies and uh, aroma and love letters. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Where do I sign up? I want to look at those uh, with a little bit of uh, uh, insight this morning and help us understand, hopefully, uh, what that really means because the message may be a little more challenging than than we would uh, care to guess. Uh, just having kind of looked at it on paper. In uh, verse uh, 14 of chapter 2, Paul says, Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession through and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Uh, joyful procession, that sounds good, doesn't it? This is, this is a parade. Uh, and in fact, in, in Paul's language here, it's a victory parade. Uh, Paul has in mind the, the Roman legions coming back into Rome. And at the head of the legions is the, is the commanding general. If any of you've, uh, if any of you've seen the, uh, the movie Gladiator where Russell Crowe, you know, plays the, the general who's at the, at the front of the lines. I, I was playing golf with my buddy Bruce Owens the other day and we were at, at the golf course we were playing, playing that had these like tall grass on the side of the golf cart. You remember that, that scene in the movie where Russell Crowe goes by and he kind of touches the grass and he's envisioning victory and Bruce was kind of touching the grass like his golf victory was, was a Roman conquering uh, you know, amazing feat. Uh, he ended up winning, but it was only because I had a bad day. But we, we have this picture before us of this general who, who has conquered. And, and Paul says, we're part of, the, we're part of the, the parade. Christ leads us in triumphal procession. And you're like, where do I sign up? What you need to understand is Paul is painting a picture in which Christ is entering into his kingdom and, and the vanquished go before him, and we are the vanquished. What Paul is saying there is that, that we have been captured by Christ Jesus, that we were actually battling against him. At one point in our lives, we were his enemies, as Paul points out in Romans, which we're going to get back to after the first of the year and see very clearly that we were not God's allies who gladly joined him, but rather we were his enemies. We were fighting against him. And even in our defiance, he broke down the walls of our unbelief and he drew us to himself and he now puts us on display to say, if you want to know what it looks like to be conquered by my grace, conquered by my compassion, conquered by by my love, look at these folks. They're now 
my possession. Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 1. I'm not going to put the verses on the screen, but verses 21 and 22. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We are God's trophies, but not in the way we would like to think about it. We'd like to think about being God's trophies in light of the fact that God goes, these are the best, the shiniest, and, and the brightest, and the most wonderful. I'm going to put them on display. No, we're put on display as those who were fighting against him, but who have been conquered by his mercy, not conquered by his hostility, not conquered by his anger, not conquered by his disappointment in us, but conquered by the mercy and grace that comes through the cross of Christ. And it transforms our lives so that in a very public setting, people see the demonstration of the gospel working its way out. Did you hear what that wife said to Alan when my my husband got into studying God's word, when he allowed Jesus more and more to control his life, to really be his Lord? Guess what? Our family changed. It's on public display for people to see. Are we willing at Green Tree to be the trophies of Jesus' gospel? Paul goes on to say, though, that there's, there's this distinct aroma. He says, we're led in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And then let's read a couple more verses. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to another, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these, three, for these things? Paul says there's a very distinct smell. There's a very distinct aroma that comes with Jesus Christ. Now, again, he has in mind this procession of the, of the Romans coming back into the city of Rome in triumph. And it's kind of like get in your mind, and you've seen this a lot at the end of World War II. Uh, Neil Armstrong had one of these in New York City, a ticker tape parade where everybody's throwing confetti out of, out of the windows. And it's almost the cameras can't even hardly see through everything because there's so much confetti in the air. Well, as, as the conquering generals came back into Rome, they didn't use paper that was colored. They used flower petals. They, they, they would tear flowers, and they would bring them, and they would throw them on the ground, and they would throw them into the air. And if you take enough flowers when thousands and thousands of people are gathered, and they have thousands and thousands of bouquets, guess what? There's a very distinct aroma. Think about being a young child growing up in Rome and seeing Caesar at the head of the column and smelling those flowers. And then years later, getting, getting that, a whiff of that same aroma, go, oh, yeah, I remember now. <laughs> I'm a Roman citizen. We're the ones who have conquered the known world. The triumph of Christ has a very distinct and unmistakable aroma. But notice that there are different reactions. To some, it's the reaction of death. To some, it's the reaction of life. We, uh, we used to have live Christmas trees at our house when our kids were little. And I grew up with a live Christmas tree. Everybody has a live Christmas tree, right? Uh, and every Christmas, uh, we would go out. we go out to uh, out close to um, uh, Augusta, Missouri, and we would go to a Christmas tree farm. We'd cut our Christmas tree down, we'd bring it back, and we'd set it up in the house a couple weeks before Christmas. And, you know, then you'd do all the decorating and put everything on the tree, and it's just wonderful. And, and every time we would cut down a tree, you know, I would kind of stand there and go, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm six years old again. And, and I'm remembering 
you know, those Christmas mornings. That aroma has with it a very distinct memory for me. Maybe for some of you it's, you know, it's the cookies that are baking or maybe the turkey on Thanksgiving morning when you wake up and smell that wonderful aroma. But what we found out was for about four Christmases in a row, starting when Nathan, our oldest child, was about three or four, he would be sick around Christmas time every year a week or two before Christmas, and for about a week after Christmas, he, he just didn't feel very good to the point where literally as he got a little bit older when he was 9 or 10 years old, he really was miserable. We couldn't figure it out. We finally discovered he's allergic to Christmas trees. To one, the aroma of life. To another, the aroma of death. Friends, I'm not saying that if you're the aroma of Jesus... And I'm the aroma of Jesus. As we leave this room and we go out, whether it's in the hallway talking to somebody or in your business or uh, down the halls of Kirkwood High School or wherever we happen to be during the week, I'm not saying that everybody's going to have a positive reaction. To some, it feels like death. Had a cup of coffee with a friend of mine yesterday morning for an hour and a half. The gospel feels like death to him right now. He's trying to get his mind around it. He's not there yet. And to some, it's a fragrance of life. Jesus, Paul doesn't say, be the fragrance of Jesus when it's easy. Be the fragrance of Jesus when people like you and applaud you and hug you and love you and thank you. How many people patted us on the back at the harvest party Thursday night and said, we can't believe a church would do something like this. This is so phenomenal. Boy, that's easy to be the fragrance of Jesus there. (laughs) People are telling you how wonderful it is. But understand, man's response is not our central goal. Having the aroma of Christ is... Paul uses one more metaphor. He calls us letters of grace. Look at chapter 3, the first three verses. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but from the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. We are a letter from Christ. Uh, A letter of recommendation gives someone an in, right? If if you're somebody who hires folks from time to time, if you're a business owner or you're in charge of HR in your department, you know, you might have had this experience where a friend calls and says, hey, you know, I'm sending so-and-so over and and, and they've got in their packet a letter of recommendation for me. I want you to, to make time for them. Maybe you've had that experience or you've been on the receiving end of that where you're looking for a job and you meet somebody who knows somebody who's going to make a connection for you. We get the whole recommendation letter idea. Um, that's how Jeremy Biedenbaugh got, got uh, hired at Green Tree Community Church. We didn't want to hire Jeremy. We didn't know Jeremy. He was too young for the job. But another pastor at Green Tree, Mike Werkheiser, stood up and said, I want you to interview my buddy Jeremy. And I interviewed Jeremy, not because I had any intention whatsoever of hiring him, but because Mike Werkheiser said I should talk to him. And I, Mike and I were buddies. And I had lunch with Jeremy, and I said at the outset, we're not going to hire you, but let's talk. <laughs> and then I called Scott Holly, who was in charge of the search team, and I said, Scott, we're not going to hire him, but you got to meet him. <laughs> and because Tom called Scott, and we're buddies, Scott said, okay, I'll meet with him. And Scott came back and said, I don't think we're going to hire him, but I think the whole search team ought to meet him. <laughs> and you know the rest of the story. There's something powerful about a letter of recommendation, but this message, this, this, this recommendation is based on relationship. It's our letter, Paul says, written on your hearts. It's your letter written on our hearts. 
because of our relationship with Christ. As his message of grace flows into our lives, it then flows out into our relationship with others, and it's intended to be read, right? Paul says this letter is is on display for everyone, right? It's written to be known and read by all. As we know Christ, as we study his word, as I said, at what Alan says, foundational, it's a love letter from God, and it recommends Christ to the world. My life, my message, the way in which I live, the way in which I present the gospel is, is the love letter of Christ to the world. A lot of you may not have ever heard of Sherwood Anderson. Sherwood Anderson was a 20th century author in the United States. Uh, maybe you've, you've read Winesburg, Ohio. It's a series of short stories. It's probably his most famous work. But my guess is a lot of you have maybe heard of that in passing, but you've never heard of Sherwood Anderson. But you've heard of a lot of, of, of other authors with whom he came into contact and, and authors whom he mentored over the years. Uh, he was never an official you know, lecturer or teacher in an English department, but he had a knack of finding young talent and spending time with them and helping them develop. And so you know some of his protégés. You know uh, some, of, some of the folks he came across in 1919 in Chicago. He took a young author under his wings named Ernest Hemingway. He spent some time with Hemingway. Later on, in the mid-20s, he moved to New Orleans and spent a little bit of a time with a guy named William Faulkner, who all of you who have been through high school English have come to know Mr. Faulkner. Later on, when he lived in California, Thomas Wolfe and John Steinbeck were some of the men who sought him out to talk to him about writing. All told, three Nobel Prizes and four Pulitzer Prizes for literature were developed through the influence of Sherwood Anderson. That's a pretty good letter of recommendation. When we're dead and gone, we've moved off the scene. What will be left here? What impact for the gospel will be going on? Somebody says, you know, I've heard of so-and-so who I think was one of those founding members of Green Tree, but I don't know too much about him, but, but I know these six guys are all believers because of that person. Or I know these young women all talk about so-and-so, and we never met her, and, and, and she's been dead for several years, but, but, boy, she seemed to have a phenomenal impact. This woman would never have become a follower of Jesus if she hadn't interacted with this person. You see where we're going with this. So this is Vision Sunday. We're looking ahead. Next Sunday's Provision Sunday. We, we, we prayerfully make a financial commitment, but before we do that, we must consider that this is our time. This is our opportunity to be the trophies of Jesus on display, to bear his fragrance, to be his love letter to a lost and dying world that's racked with sin and condemnation. And friends, we only get one crack at it. There are no do-overs. There's no restarts. There's no mulligans. We have one life and one generation to impact for the gospel. Are we willing to be on public display? as those who belong to Jesus. And let others see what it really clearly means to be conquered by His grace and by His mercy. Are we willing to be the aroma of Jesus everywhere, in spite of how people may or may not react? You know, the the Protestant church doesn't have patron saints, but my Wednesday morning Bible study has a patron saint. Um, And we might be theologically inaccurate on this, but we don't really care because... It's just our Wednesday morning guys. Um, and our patron saint is a guy named Polycarp who was a bishop in a town called Smyrna in the, in the second century. 
he just barely edged out Stan Musial as, as our patron saint. But he came in first place. And I want to read for you a conversation, very brief, just a couple of snippets of a conversation Polycarp had with the governor of his town who was going to execute him and was trying to get him because he liked Polycarp. He thought he was a good guy, and he's like, I, you know, I, I can't hold these guys off. They want you executed. You're going to be executed unless you renounce Christ and pledge allegiance to Caesar. And so the governor kept saying to him, Swear, and I will set you at liberty. Just reproach Christ. Polycarp declared, 86 years I have served him. He never did me any injury. How then can I now blaspheme my king and my savior? Again, he pressed him, swear by fortune of Caesar. Polycarp says, since thou art vainly urgent that as thou sayest, I should swear by fortune of Caesar and pretendest to not know who and what I am, hear me declare with boldness, I am a Christian. The governor came back and said, I have wild beasts at hand. And Polycarp, this is our faith, this is our Bible study group. This is, a, this is what put him, this is what allowed, allowed him to edge Stan out. Uh, I have wild beasts, the governor says. Call them, for we are not accustomed to repent of that which is good in order to adopt that which is evil. I will cause thee to be consumed by fire. Thou threatenest me with fire that burneth for an hour. And after a little is extinguished, but art ignorant of the fire that is coming judgment of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why tarriest thou? Bring forth what thou wilt. So now they're taking him to the pile and they're going to burn him. And they're about to tie him to the stake to keep him there so he won't run away. But when they were about to fix him, actually they weren't going to tie him, they were, they were going to nail him to this, this post. He said, leave me as I am, for he that giveth me strength to endure the fire will also enable me without your securing me by nails, to remain without moving in this pile. Wow. <laughs> Are we willing to be the aroma of Christ regardless of people's action or reaction? And finally, are we willing to be a love letter from Christ to a lost and dying world, even at times when we'd rather be a dear John letter? <laughs> there are times that I'd much rather write off the world. And yet God calls me to be a witness for him. I saw this played out last summer in a, in a very, very small, not real small, but, but a lot of people didn't know about this ministry. A group of women came, came to Jeremy and me and said, we'd like to provide something in the summer for young moms. Uh, it may, we think it's an opportunity where we could have a chance to, uh, even, even moms that don't go to Green Tree, just to be able to get them in, in, in fellowship and in Bible study and do a little babysitting while they're here. So what you're going to see for about the next four or five minutes is not anything you know, radically dynamic. But it's some folks who got this. Some folks who said, you know what? We want people to know Jesus, and we think there's a way for us to do that with this particular group of, of folks in our community. So uh, let's watch the, the clip for just a minute. Moms and More is a wonderful opportunity for moms um, of young children to get together over the summer and just have an opportunity to kind of learn about being a mom and maybe people's spiritual struggles and um, triumphs as a mom and then get a chance to talk with other moms who have young children. We've had some wonderful speakers this summer who've talked on um, everything from working on perfectionism or not being so perfect. I really have been inspired by the speakers that we've had this summer. It just, especially the speaker we had last week, she was just unbelievable. She blew me out of the water with how she just maintains her life and her relationship with God through everything she's been through. So it's just meant a lot to me. Talk about the experiences they have as being parents, you know, dealing with certain issues and 
um, you know, just kind of bounce ideas off of each other, and, and it's also a chance to grow spiritually. The food has been wonderful when you get a bunch of women together who all love to, to cook and bless one another in that way. Um, that's been a huge blessing. It's been great to just know that my child is well taken care of during this time and, and have time to sit and, and chat and visit and not have to worry about um, what she's doing or she's being well cared for. I think stay-at-home moms have a different viewpoint than working moms because a lot of us were working moms and now all of a sudden we're thrown into this big <laughs> world with kids and we don't really know what to expect so it's nice to be able to relate to other women and just find out what they're doing in their homes and um, you know find out how they pray with their children and how they bring God into their lives. It just made me sit back and look at, at myself as a mom and you know how well I'm doing and, and kind of evaluate that and make my parenting more purposeful. I've just learned again that it, it takes time to raise my kids and it takes time to pour into my own friendships and that's okay and that this is where God has me right now and that all my that the majority of my time is going into just maintaining my friendships and, and my family is is good if not really appropriate right now. We all go through very similar struggles. Uh, very often each week Depending on the topic, we'll, we'll, we'll meet in the big group, hear the, the person who's speaking that week, then break into our small group. And very often, you know, we go down there and say, oh, that happened to me, or, oh, I so related to that. So I think that is very comforting to these young moms to know that there are other people going through the same things and other people they can call on to support them when they do have questions or concerns or just want someone to pray for them. I just came away from there feeling like, you know, when my kids are being difficult, um, it's not really, it's not really just them being difficult, it's, it's, it's also God working on me to change some of the weaknesses that I have. It's really more than anything meant an opportunity for me to remember that I'm not crazy. Because when you get together with a bunch of other people who are at a very similar stage in life and therefore going through some very similar situations, just hearing how other people um, handle it currently, how they handled it when their kids were young, it reminds, it's really reminded me that, that I'm not crazy, that I'm not crazy because I care as much as I do about the things that I care about and um, that, that, that my, my kids are pretty normal too chores and housework and those kind of things, those will always be there and they're really not that pressing. Um, but spending time with your kids is really what matters and plugging into their lives even at a young age and, um, and loving them and praying for them. Kind of putting, the, putting it in perspective what is really important has stuck out to me. It's been really fun to see my kids. This has been one of the only things that we've done this summer. Um, just so that we had a lot of time to hang out with one another. And it's been really fun to watch some of their relationships with kids um, that, we, that we knew before we started really blossom. Summertime can sometimes be boring in the afternoons and the mornings if there's not a whole lot to do. And, you know, they come away with songs that they've sang in the morning and it's just kind of brightened up our, our days this summer. During a time where otherwise it just kind of gets dry and lonely because with people traveling, you just don't have that opportunity just for connection and it's so it's especially the fact that it's been in the summer has been great. There was definitely a need for this ministry. I have been amazed at how quickly it took off. For being a startup ministry, it was brought to our elders and deacons by lay people within the church and that also is exciting to me that we're a church that would allow people 
to put this ministry together and offer it to these young women. Let's pray together. I'm going to give all of us just a, a chance for a silent prayer for just a moment with one fundamental question. Just asking God, Lord, will you show me? Or will you make me a trophy, an aroma, a letter of grace to the people around me? And Lord, would you do that for Green Tree as a body of believers in, in the year ahead? Let's just have a moment of silent prayer. Father, when we talk about vision, I think we may be tempted to think about uh, strategy and timing and exciting ministries and uh, the things that we do. Father, I pray that we would understand that while all those things are important, it begins with not what we do, but who we are. That we belong to you, that you've conquered us, that you've made us your trophies on display. You haven't conquered us by oppression or by strength of arms. You've conquered us by grace by love and compassion. And because of that, we, as we scatter, are the aroma of this parade of the Lord Jesus. And we represent him. And as he writes his love letter to the world, as he, as he wrote it on the cross, as he wrote it in this epistle with Paul, and now as he writes it through our lives, Father, would you make us a people as individuals as well as a body of Green Tree Community Church that would take seriously calling you've placed on our lives. And we'll commit once again to be the aroma, to be the trophies, to be the fragrance, to be the love letters of Jesus in this day, in this community. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.